The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about mybookie.ag. It is a great site to make your sports wagers, your political wagers, your heck, you can go wager on the Oscars this weekend. They have them all. They just released the MLB team totals, player props. There'll be more to come. I know the guys from the Always Pressing podcast love going to there to look for uh, PGA money line winners, top 20s, top 10s, the works. They have it all, and they keep adding more and more fun stuff. If you want the UEFA Champions Leagues, they got it. They got all the sports, they got all the extracurriculars, they have it all over at mybookie.ag. And if you want to make a first-time deposit, use promo code BENCHED, B-E-N-C-H-E-D, for a 50% deposit bonus, up to $1,000. Go deposit $100, use BENCHED to get a free $50. Bucks. Deposit $500, get a free $250. When you're a first-time depositor at mybookie.ag, using promo code BENCHED. Also, if you give a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help us go up the, the rankings in the fantasy baseball categories, and more and more listeners could get to the show, and it would help us out in so many directions. With all that being said, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 147 with Rudy Gamble of Razball.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 147. I'm going to recap the labor draft that took place a few weeks ago and kind of give an idea on some players on the bubble. Talk Manny Machado to the Padres and much, much more. And in order to do so, joined by a special guest, you can find his work over at Rasball, Rudy Gamble. Rudy, how are we doing, man? Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for uh, joining me. It's it's fun getting to, to know you on the Twitters first and uh you know, it can be quite the cesspool, but at times there's a lot of good stuff there. And um, you are definitely one of the uh, more well-known people in the industry. You're in all the big-time drafts, so I think it'll be kind of it will be fun to get to kind of your your opinion on some certain things. Uh, before we get started, how about you? Let everybody know where they can find you. What you guys got going on at Razzball? 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm a co-owner of Rasball with Gray Albright. That's Rasball.com. Um, I Gray does most of the posting as well as we actually have a pretty deep bench of writers. Uh, I'm in charge of the projections. And that includes both preseason, which includes dollar values for just about any format. Um, so the projections for preseason, rest of season, and um, daily and weekly projections. Cool, um, cool, cool. Most of my opining ends up happening on Twitter, at Rudy Gamble. Um, but half of it's like smart-ass stuff, non-sequiturs, and uh, political stuff. So, you know... I hope you if if you're just looking for fantasy baseball only and really dry, it might not qualify. Um, so yeah. Oh, and the season long are the our projections for uh, our subscriptions out. That's the one that you get daily and weekly projections all season. Um, whether you want DFS or season long, we have both. That's up on the site. And uh, yeah, the big thing for this year is I'm giving access out to my uh, war room. I might dread this. I might I might really regret this, but uh, giving access to my worm so you can kind of see how I uh, think these th- think things through at a draft, and I think it's uh, I think it's a little different. You'll get a you'll get a sense of how I think on this podcast, but I, th- I think I, personally I, I've moved. I built this two or three years ago, and since then, yeah, I mean I've had really good success in expert fifteen team mixed uh, one tout. Wars two years in a row, fourth and third in labor, and that was fifteen team as well. Um, so, yeah, I feel, I feel like finally hit on. It took only like ten years of constant iteration to hit on the uh, the right mix of things. But yeah, so uh, but yeah, you get that for free if you subscribe for the season long stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting that part up. Uh, we're going to go over Rudy's labor draft and look at his article over there on Razball, and he breaks it down. Uh, in a really cool way to kind of give you an idea of different positions, different you know categories he's trying to approach and how he approached them throughout the draft instead of just going over pick by pick and everyone's draft and picking everybody apart for their good and their bad. We'll kind of go about it that route. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but go check out Razzball. We've had a lot of their contributors on the show and a lot of good people over there, and it's been fun. One thing I want to ask you before we get into Machado and company, what's with the pitcher, the avatar? Oh, I mean, it's uh, it's a it's it's Rudy Gamble. That's what Rudy. But it's my two favorite uh, baseball cards growing up were Rudy May and Oscar Gamble. Okay, that's so, what I was so wondering. You, yeah, everyone get everyone like it thinks it's just Oscar Gamble. It's like look at the face. That's not Oscar. That is, yeah. and the cool thing is Rudy May friended me a while oh, back really? on Twitter. Yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm connected to Rudy, uh, Oscar just spiritually. There you go. Yeah, that's why I had to ask because that's one of the fun things, one of the many things that Razzball it kind of makes things different is the content's very good and very you know serious, but then you guys have your titles that make me laugh, your, your different avatars, um, even different little parts throughout the articles, and it kind of lightens the mood and realizes we're still having fun with fantasy sports. So uh, yeah, that's I why am, I, I, am I had the, to ask it. I am the not secret. Of, yeah, most Razzball writer readers know I do the titles for Gray's post. That's evidently we've learned that uh, whoever has to write the post gets so bogged down with the writing that it's hard to come up with titles. Oh, so, and Gray does most of the writing. So yeah, during the season, it's inevitably around like nine o'clock 
like Eastern ten o'clock. I'm I'm in Central, so let's just say it's like at some point I'm getting like the this guy title. Yeah, you know, we're and yeah, so it's every day during the season. Um, but it's a lot easier coming up banging out a, a funny title than banging out two thousand words or so. So uh, yeah, my hat's off to Gray on that. hundred percent agree with you. Uh, let's get into some of the recent news. We actually have a couple signings to talk about, which is rare on the podcast. But uh, Manny Machado signed to the Padres. This is a really interesting one because, you know, there's people that think it's dumb, think it's good. From a fantasy perspective, you tweeted out some interesting stuff yesterday and how it, uh, your projections kind of changed on Machado. I want you everybody know kind of what you have going on and what your thoughts on Machado are in San Diego. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's one stat that everyone – that just pops into people's heads whenever a guy signs. That's home runs. And San Diego's fine for homers. It's not as not that bad. It's a it's not a very good scoring environment, and it's not a very good um, balls in play environment. But it's a, about average for homers. So his homers didn't change from the original projection, which is based on just park neutral. Um, but partially because of the park, and partially because of that team, it's not a great. It's not a great lineup to be part of. Um, and so I do my, you know, while I rely on Steamer for a lot of rate stuff, I do my own run in RBI calculations. And basically that team is like bottom of the barrel and on base percentage. And that drives your runs, your RBIs, because if there's less guys on, you can't drive them in. And it drives your plate appearances because, yeah, a bad on base team is going to just have less plate appearances per game. So he gets less of that, you know, less often he's going to get that awesome five plate appearance game. Um, so yeah, so it knocked him down from like 10 to like 20 in the overall. Um, it's, and it varies per format. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's a negative. It's probably the worst movie could have had from a fantasy perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, and next it'll just be like Bryce to San Francisco and it'll just be a combined, like, yeah, just kill all the people that, uh, that drafted like best ball and early NFBC drafts in Jen or Feb. Um, so yeah, luck. I would have been, you know, I think, um, but it's also worth noting the difference between 10, the difference when you look at it from runs, RBIs, batting average is still really minor. If you're the type that's just this big picture guy. Um, it's just like he has a certain set of skills, and I guess that'd be like Liam Neeson. But um, if you think like Ron Sandler, Chandler with his Bab stuff, which is pretty much just throw people in buckets, nothing's mm-hmm. changed. It's whether you know it's. But for me, he went from like end of first round type guy to now like middle second round. Okay, and um, that's why I'm, that's why I want to hear you explain it because. A lot of people do do the, the Chandler type deal where it's, you know, Manny's great. Manny hits in all ballparks. That's not going to stop Manny. But when you break it down like you do, it's the, the surrounding factors that don't really get brought into the equation enough. And that's why it's really interesting when you put it that way. Because at first I was even that that guy where I, I saw your tweets. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, Baltimore sucked. Like, I get it. But then when you really think about it, yeah, you know, the, the Padres are going to be good in a couple years. But uh, right now probably not so much. Um, when you're looking at Machado dropping down to the you know mid second round or so, and with with like a guy like Francisco Lindor and his injury, who do you prefer going into the draft? I'd probably go Lindor. Um, I'm trying to avoid that one. It's one where 
the calf, I just don't know how it impacts his stolen bases. Um, so it's hard for me to make a case to go Lindor over Machado. It's probably a neither. Um, and, you know, but we'll see if I ever get in a situation where someone actually tests my metal on it. Um, you know, like it's, you know, I, I tend to, I tend to be of the type where I've thought through just about every possible combination. And the only time I have to really make a call is if something really falls on my lap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, yeah, last year I was in a draft where Jose Ramirez made it to like the middle of the second round because people moved starting pitchers up. It's like, I just grabbed that and that really helped. Um, you know, I've had drafts where like the second, I took the second pitcher off the board and it was pick 30. Um, so the, the pleasant ones are nice on that one. That would kind of suck. <laughs> to have yeah. to, but I probably, yeah, let's just say gun to head right now. It's like, I probably would take Machado. You're going to get the shortstop in your third base. And yeah, it's, he's, uh, he'll probably give you 155 games. We don't know with Lindor. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing is Lindor might be out till you know second week of the season and without any spring training. That, that concerns me a bit, but we'll probably know more here in a couple of weeks on how he really looks to get going. Uh, one more comparison I want to make. Yeah, Machado, uh, another guy coming back from injury but looks to be on the mend is Alex Bregman. How do you look at those two? Bregman, I'm not too worried about. I would take Bregman. Um, but uh, – yeah, I'm not. Wor- I'm le- more worried in that area. Inter- is uh, Trevor Story, and um, it. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm getting spooked. I don't. I don't pretend to be, uh, you know, an orthopedist or anything like that. But uh, I'm a little worried about that elbow thing. I think it could be just recency bias with uh, Corey Seager. Um, but you know. It, I I don't I'm not the most conservative drafter, um, but everything equal I'd rather just pick someone that it doesn't give me agita. Are you on Are you on board with the Trevor story? You know, a couple of years ago struggled a ton, struck out a ton. He made adjustments this past year. We're back to normal. Are you back on board with Trevor story? Oh yeah. If it wasn't for the elbow thing, I mean, I would I would have him as like pick like ten or twelve. Um, so, you know, so he, I was debating on him as, as my, as a potential first round pick in labor, I'd pick 12 and definitely on the turn. And it was literally that elbow thing spooked me a bit. Um, you know, and generally I'm pretty bold on that stuff. Like I said, I think it's, uh, we'll see if it, ch- if my uh, tune changes as the preseason goes on. Okay. Uh, another signing we got yesterday, not nearly as big as the Manny Machado deal, but Josh Harrison signed with the uh, Detroit Tigers one-year deal. It's interesting, you know, the talent hit and miss. Sometimes he's much better as a utility kind of middle infielder type guy. But how do you look at a Josh Harrison going to Detroit and how it impacts, you know, Nico Goodrum and others? Yeah, definitely. Uh... It definitely hits Goodrum in that he was going to play just about every day. Um, now he's in super utility role, which basically depends on someone getting injured to get much more than like uh, 130 games or so. Miggy is obviously a candidate there. Um, so it, it hurt. I took a, a few uh, games off of Goodrum's estimate. I think 
this is the best case scenario for Harrison because I think he has a good shot of hitting in the top two of the lineup. Um, the only person who has – I mean, no one on that team really has any right to hit in the top two. Candelario's kind of there by default. Um, but guys like Jacoby Jones and um, Matuk, um, they don't have any real right to it. So, I mean, Harrison got – I think was sub 300 on base last year. So he doesn't have a great one. But, you know, as the veteran, I could see him end up hitting one or two. So – as an AL-only counting stack guy, it's not bad. Um, and maybe even as a streaming candidate, Harrison might have a little bit of value. All right, so pretty much AL-only type deal streamer. Um, Nico Goodrum was kind of a late-round target. You you mentioned how he's going to most likely make sense to lose playing time. I think he'll kind of – he'll be play, getting some you know starts at other positions. But, yeah, overall it's going to damper him. Many liked him as like a 15-15 type guy. Uh, does he kind of come off the board as, as not a late round option anymore for you? Yeah, no, I mean, I think in a, um, so like in a 15 team league and you've, you've only got room for two or three bench guys. Mm-hmm. I don't mind him, but I doubt I'll be taking him. Mm-hmm. I, I say, I don't mind him in that. It's like, he's got such good position eligibility, but I feel like there's always guys like that available throughout the season. That's true. Um, I want to say, uh, yeah, Daniel Robert Robertson had a, a stretch last year on Tampa where he had, and I mean, I picked up Goodrum everywhere last year, yeah. so it's like there'll be another Goodrum. It's kind of he's he's like a bus, uh, so I'd rather not take the bus, but mm-hmm. I know another bus is coming if I have to if my car breaks down. That's such a great analogy. I didn't even think that's such a great one. He's just like a bus. That's beautiful. Um, let's talk about St. Louis Cardinals, a guy that I wanted nothing to do with last year when he came back and was still hurt. And apparently he doesn't know how to do his offseason conditioning. But Carlos Martinez, shoulder issue already, shut down for two weeks. Uh, reports are coming out. There's a very good chance he's not in the rotation this year. Uh, first off, how does that make you kind of view Carlos Martinez? Because I doubt he closes either, even though some think he's going to. Yeah, no, I wasn't on him. Um, to me, he was a pitcher that he he he's he's been a generally a thrower. I mean, he had good success, but throwing max, he was always like a plus ninety five plus guy, and he never was super dominant. So any chink in that puts um, puts a, a damper on his usage. Um, I could see him in the relief role, whether he closes or not, I'm not sure, but it definitely makes the closer situation there uh, that much murkier. So, you know, I don't, I didn't really see me owning Jordan Hicks or Andrew Miller, but you know, that's just one more guy to, to worry about there. I still haven't projected as a starter, but now in like probably like the 125 inning thing. So I don't, not a type I'm, I'm crazy about. Like I said, the only get, thing I could say for him versus, um, let's say, like a Forrest Whitley, who you might have at like 120, and you don't know if he's going to start or be a reliever, is uh, if Martinez doesn't pitch more than 125, it's because he's on the DL. And you might be able to stash him versus a guy who got versus Whitley, who might end up in AAA or have like, you know, these random just lame roles where you, you can't really play them in a real league. So um, I don't mind injury prone guys. I just don't really see the upside at this point in Carlos. I'd rather, 
Def- I mean, it, I don't think it's the same price, but yeah, I'd rather have Alex Reyes. Yeah, that's what I was going to go with that. Like Alex Reyes, everyone talks, you know, everyone knows how good this kid is. It's just a matter of does he get the role? Is he going to be healthy right now? They kind of point that direction. There's there's Reyes, there's maybe John Gant, there's uh, Ponce de Leon. There's tons of different options there. Um, is Reyes pretty much the only one there you're looking at to possibly draft if he gets that role? Or do any of those names strike a fancy? None, none of them are – I mean, they're all in that kind of streaming mix. So I don't think – I mean, I I've, I haven't looked as deep at them and what their per-game start. So one of the things I do on, on the Roswell projections, I have a dollar value but also a dollar per-game value. So any starting pitcher that's above, let's just say – two or three dollars it's basically saying when he starts he'll be value he'll be useful um so i haven't looked at, at the rest of the starting the cardinals to to look it doesn't feel like it's going to be a rotation I, I i have any have much shares in but everyone's eligible to be streamed <laughs> yeah definitely um one last thing on this carlos martinez you mentioned forrest woodley kind of as a comp what do you think about a guy, another youngster like a Jesus Lazardo, who, you know, all rumors point to starting out the year, but still, you'd imagine um, some sort of innings limit with him as well. Yeah, I mean, if if he starts, if they start in April, then there's there's a certain value to it. Um, I think he's got enough helium to him that you're not. I'm not. I don't see a bargain there. He might overperform expectations, um, but you're not getting. I, I'm looking more for bargains okay. at that point and guys i so um yeah i don't i think it's okay but talk he might be in the rotations good mm-hmm. just seems so easy to send him down for a month or mm-hmm. you know so i don't know if, if when he doesn't you know given an innings cap if he has one let's say he even goes 140 innings where is he these other 60 is he on the dl so i could stash him in some leagues is he just in the minors and now i'm burning a bench spot i Let's just, I hate burning a bench spot on a pitcher. That the only reason I want a guy on my bench as a pitcher is if it's a bad matchup for the week, he's still pitching, which is a bad matchup, or a reliever that's basically a rainy day reliever. Um, let's just say like a Trevor Hildenberger. So I got, well, maybe he might, he might get us, he might fall into saves. And if my, I just have a bad matchup week, he could be my, I could throw him in for the week, but otherwise burning it on like um, rookie pitchers and waiting for them to come up is a sucker move. No, um, that, that's such a great I've done point. It too, and I've done it too often. So the it's last a, guy, the guy who broke me just, you know, is Jose De Leon of Tampa. <laughs> Three months. I think I kept him on the bench in a couple leagues. And after that, I, I vowed, um, you know, don't get, don't waste the spot. And ideally, I don't even want to waste the spot on a hitter. But you take a few shots, you're going to – it'll happen, but uh, uh, never by plan. And, and it, it makes sense for the pitchers, like you said, because, you know, how many people drafted John Gray last year and they're like, well, we're not going to give up on him. Or Luis Castillo. Or, but, so you're not starting the guy, but you're still wasting a roster spot on him. It's kind of what you're talking about. So it doesn't have to be just a minor league guy or an injury guy. It's just – if, if you're not going to start him outside of, say, a bad matchup from a, a week or whatever, then it's probably like, is that kind of what you're saying? Don't don't have him on your, your roster. Yeah, I, I had plenty of John Gray, though. Yeah. Um, no, we, I don't know we, when I eventually dropped him, but uh, 
Yeah, uh, I I made an exception on Rocky pitchers, and uh, that exception rules off. <laughs> you guys all could have Marquez. Yep, I'm in the same boat with you. I'm going to not fall into that trap again. I think it's either because John Gray burned me or every other Rocky pitcher ahead of him, but we'll just go with that. Um, one last one for Carlos Martinez, and this is kind of – I know I might be grasping at straws, but I, I like kind of making these comparisons here. You hear everyone talk about how much they love Dodgers pitchers, but we all know most of them are going to hit the DL at one point in their time, or they're going to have their innings taken you know, back. Like, uh, Hung Jin Ryu, Ross Stripling, all very talented, but you don't know the innings you're going to get. So a guy like Carlos Martinez, if you're saying 125, do you rather have value with these Dodgers arms, or do you go after a Carlos? Uh, generally Dodger arms. I mean, I think they do have a, a ton of talent, you know, and it depends on the league. So in, in tout labor, TGFBI, there's a deep DL. Um, and it's unlimited in tout and labor five, capped at five for TGFBI. So, you know, to me, like Rich Hill is a great pitcher for that. Cause it's 120 innings and, and I'll stash him on the DL and pick up a streamer when he's off. Um, stripling might be a little different because maybe he has a relief, some relief stints. And what am I going to do with a guy who pitches like three innings a week mm-hmm. and doesn't get saves? Um, so, uh, yeah, going on that, I, I, um, I like the Dodger pitchers. Um, it's just everyone kind of does. The only the only one that seemingly is going at bargain rates seems to be Maeda. Because I think Hill Hill's about valued right. Kershaw's too high. Bueller, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Um, that, that that one you just have to leap in. I mean, like, but possibly he's fine. My um and Ryu, if if I mean I had him on a ton of teams last year as a late pick. Um so yeah, I think he's a great late pick yeah I like, I like Ray a lot but all right let's get into this labor recap and we'll talk about some more players as we go here but um you know you mentioned you've won tout twice which is damn impressive you finished top four twice on labor which is damn impressive um those, those are some pretty big accomplishments there when you came into this labor draft per se what was your kind of philosophy as you were getting into this one Uh, the the uh, the philosophy doesn't doesn't change a ton. I mean, picking twelve certainly made me have to. Th- it, it started with starting pitching. I'm not really worried about how I'm going to find bats that they'll make. But starting pitching this year is a little difficult, and that feeling that I have no faith who'll find its who'll find their way to me at pick three at round three for the twelfth round. So that would be pick uh, forty two. Um, so I didn't really love the depth there. I felt like Patrick Corbin was probably the best pitcher that was going to make it there. So I had the kind of the philosophy of, well, who would I take in the first round? And it was pretty much DeGrom because, uh, you know, Scherzer's going to be gone. So the draft basically went around, okay, if I take DeGrom uh, in the first, what will I do? And if I take, and if not, and I take a pitcher in the third round, and let's just say Corbin was was kind of the target, what do I do? Um, and then, yeah, as I went through all these different permutations of drafts, I ended up going with uh, one where I just went really heavy in in the kind of the rounds nine to fifteen, nine to sixteen, 
and get a lot of starting pitchers in that. I like the values there. I hated them more or less like rounds four to eight. So think of it as that you have this board, you're kind of marking when you'd like to take starting pitching. Then you figure out like what you're going to do on closing and then hitters just fill the rest. Okay. Um, you, you were talking about how you kind of have a, you had your game plan. If you, if you go this way or if you go that way, so on and so forth. I know I heard, uh, Ryan Bloomfield wrote an article on his kind of uh, plan he had. Um, I've talked to some other guys about similar situations. What do you, um, are you, are you using NFBC ADP? Are you using your projection models? What are you using to kind of build your, your quote unquote game plan? Your kind of what you're going to do throughout the draft? Yeah. I mean, what I built, I, I built in my war room is uh, is it uses NFBC ADP and mins and maxes and kind of gives me an idea of uh, who will be available in each round. Um, so um, I'm using that to kind of mock draft. But what I like about it is, um, you know, a mock draft, whether you're doing it using a draft wizard like Fantasy Pros has or with people, you can't really – it's hard to go backwards. Um, and so I prefer to kind of go slowly round by round. And then if I make a mistake, I'll note it and then go back and, and, and kind of go forward from there. Um, so I'm kind of drafting with this expectation of, okay, well, who are guys that are likely available in this round who I don't think will be available in the next turn. And that's my consideration set. And then, you know, laying overlaying that with, you know, where I'm going to fit find uh, various categories. So positions don't matter as much to me as saying, I need starting pitching. I guess that's a category. Uh, position two, uh, I need speed. I need power. I need average. So that that's to me offense is like you've got those three. You've got to balance it. Runs and RBIs will generally come along. Um, and. Uh, yeah, and then looking in the draft of where I where I can I get the best values on those. So I guess I'd say if you're thinking hitters, figuring out where you're getting your speed is uh, paramount because you could find late power. Um, you can't really find like late average. So maybe that speed and average early. I'm trying to figure out, and you can see it in this draft. And then power kind of is uh, interlaced. And that's what I was just going to ask you is with all the research you've been doing and what, and same thing when I've been looking at stuff, it seems you can get, you know, 15, 20 plus home run guys all throughout the draft, but steals average, like you said, uh, they vary. Um, are I'm assuming by what you just said, but I want to clarify it. Are you making it a point to get that stuff early and then just fill in later? Or do you, when you're making your game plan out, do you have like, okay, if, if you know, the draft took me this way and I missed, stolen bases in the first four rounds, then, you know, by what I've done, I have this list of guys to take from round eight on stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, for, I mean, for this draft, it was knowing I was likely going, um, taking Stanton in the second round and DeGrom or another bat in the first. So I knew I wasn't probably going to, address speed to the third or fourth round. So it's kind of more like these, these are the the rounds I think I'm going to get speed. And then, yeah, if, 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 
I'm basically trying to find rounds where I can have multiple options. Um, so I'm not dependent on one miracle guy coming through. So, and yeah. And, and then I think for something like speed initially, yeah, I don't want to wait until later and, you know, think, Oh, I'm going to get, I'll just, you know, guys like Cedric Mullins or Ramon Laureano mm-hmm. and thinking oh, I've got these dark horses and not that I particularly like or dislike those guys. It's just um, what ends up happening is that anyone who's chasing stolen bases is going to overdraft those guys. That it's very hard as the things go on to get guys without paying premiums. So I'd rather just pay. And then I think in the top, in the first eight rounds, I, I think it was up through Valar in the fifth or sixth round. I thought it went at fair price. Um, so I'd rather wait and draft other positions uh, in those maybe that 10 to 15 range where other people might be uh, reaching for whatever's left in a category. Um, you mentioned you took the Grom earlier. I know you talk about it in your article. And, you know, four, four or five years ago, maybe or even sooner or more recently, you know, taking starting pitching early was like the biggest bugaboo in, in, in expert drafts you could find. Obviously, it's much more common now. Like, I, I, I don't think there's any debate of you taking a Scherzer at a Grom or whatever, a sale in the first round. That's not up for debate. But when you're looking at things um, going into your draft, you, you planned on having one. The overall starting pitcher landscape, how are you looking at it this year? Because it definitely has its drop-offs at, at certain parts, and they drop off pretty big. Yeah, I mean, I, that's one where, you know, I pretty much start looking at – the war in a war room scenario and looking at each round and just set, just getting a feel for how the values are. What, what's the ADP versus when am I, when do I want to draft them? And uh, yeah, I mean, la- last year and this year are kind of similar in that I, I don't think, I think there's a bad value once you get pat, once you get into the, the guys who are the round four to round 10 guys that, that what happens is like, I like a Jamison Tylon. Um, and that's a guy that, you know, might be value in the sixth round or seventh round. And he's getting moved up to the fifth because everyone wants to get starting pitching. Um, so there's a bit of a panic there. So I'm looking and saying, okay, well, here's where I like the values. And yeah, inevitably, there has to be someone of value in rounds four to 10. So where is it? Um, and then just building the draft around that. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, let's get into some other parts of your draft here. Uh, you mentioned your, your hit pitch mix. And for some people that don't really understand this because they haven't seen it before, you're talking about historically 67 hit, 24 starting pitch, nine relief pitchers. And it was it varied throughout this draft. But like when you go into your draft, I know when people talk auction, they want like X percentage for this, that, and the other. How close do you try to stick to those kind of base numbers there? I'm not – I try not to be a stickler on anything. Um, I would – yeah, I, I want to kind of match the room. So 67-33 or, you know, as I'd say, more like 67 on hit, 24% on pitch, 9% on nine, – 24% on starter, 9% on reliever is kind of my baseline. You know, I mean, it, it was pretty apparent by like the end of the by the middle of the second round. This one's going to go a little bit more toward pitching versus hitting. Um, I don't really want to be too far from it. I feel, I mean, I think 
one maybe minor difference, me versus most, is that I don't particularly feel like I've got a major weakness on or particular strength, I guess, on anything that I feel like I could do if if things broke a certain way, I'd go 70% on hitting. In this draft, it broke the other way, and I went 57% pitching. But I feel confident in what I could do in season. And, you know, so I, I've just tried to plan as much for those scenarios. Um, you know, but I don't want to basically make a dis- decision on a player I don't like just to meet the number. Um, I'm trying to use those percentages as kind of to inform what I'm doing during the draft, but not be a slave to them. But I think there's, yeah. And I think that's, it's a, it's a healthy way to even just kind of go through life. Don't, don't get hung up. uh, Don't, don't see, um, let's see numbers and guides as this, uh, having to be a slave to it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have them, that's bad. You're, you're, you're basically drafting or doing things blindly and you don't have these guides to potentially course correct. No, that makes a ton of sense. You got to have something to kind of keep you on the path to where you're trying to get to. So that makes a lot of sense. And that kind of leads to the next section here. You have, you know, upside versus reliability players. I like this a lot because, you know, most people you hear the term, I like a balanced roster or I like, playing conservatively. I like my veterans. I know what I'm doing. I don't want to take chances, so on and so forth. Many ways to to uh, make this work. But a couple picks you made, and I, I'm really curious about this, and this is where we'll start getting some player talk here. Uh, in the sixth round, you took Victor Robles. In the fourth round, you took Alberto Mondesi. Obviously, two picks that are going to, that should help you a ton in steals. But you, you, you were good with that because you took reliable plays on Stanton, Rendon, Murphy, no arguments there. No discussion really needed on those three guys because we all know what we should be getting there. Let's talk about your upside placer, Adalberto Mondesi. He's one of the more polarizing draft picks this this this, this year. Um, what made you okay with pulling the pin? Because it seems like someone's either in the camp or doesn't want anything to do with the guy. I mean, I, the, I did not think he would make it to my fourth, fourth round. Impressive. Pick. Yeah. I mean, third round, I would have been open. If Rendon was gone, I really like Rendon there. Um, and so Rendon's pretty much guaranteed to be a guy that is going to go on that end of third round, early fourth round. Like enough that I knew I did not think he'd make it back to me in the fourth. So I would planned on Rendon. And then the thinking was, um, I, I was thinking I was going to draft Segura there. And that would have given me... Um, Another average, high average guy, speed, but not as much. Um, and then, you know, as I saw like it coming back and that Mondesi was on, I was just like, okay, I didn't plan for it. But swapping in Mondesi for Segura was easy. And because it pretty much just locked my fifth round pick in as Daniel Murphy. Um, so m- almost those first six rounds, um, aside, Mondesi was maybe the only. Um, thing I improvised on and it just it luckily it happened it was like where I wanted speed okay so that that was more it was kind of how the the draft fell to you than you were targeting Alberto Montesi yeah no he he, based on my things he he only had like a two percent chance of making it to that pick so it was I never planned for it 
All right. Now, the other guy here, uh, Victor Robles, I'm a big fan of his this year. He's slowly creeping up draft boards, unfortunately. But I love the potential average power speed, especially that you get with him and still a very good lineup here. Um, what did you like about Victor Robles to take him in the six? Like, what was it you see when you look at Victor Robles? Yeah, I mean, I did, this was probably my biggest reach of the draft based on ADP, and that's because I I felt he was going to get – there wasn't a way he'd get to me in the se- end of the seventh, um, and it was confirmed in the draft room. So I feel I felt good on that. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to make bets on speed, um, and he's got plus plus speed. Um, I think he has the center field job. Yeah, you know, he might have. You know, Taylor is kind of lurking there as kind of a guy who'll who'll give him a break here and there. I'd like Harper just to just be confirmed he's not in Washington. Um, but assuming that, I think Robles hits probably in that toward the end of the lineup, maybe sixth, seventh or so. Um, the other thing I liked about him was uh, the two, the other two things that not great power, but should be 10 to 15 type. So I'm not sacrificing homers like I would for a D Gordon. And then the second thing is that he makes good contact. So he, he does have a, a pretty good average floor. So something like a, 1230 season with a 275 average um yeah has has solid value at that time in the draft um so yeah i was i knew i was reaching a bit but uh i just yeah i and and yeah if i'm gonna have to uh if i'm betting on youth and upside it should be your speed plays because speed is the one that just falls off a cliff as players get older. Um, yeah, if they're if they're going to run, they're going to do it their rookie and second year. No, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, you mentioned Gene Segura earlier that you were debating taking about Mondesi. He went like six, seven picks after Mondesi did. Then you went to Victor Robles. Now, when you describe Victor Robles' potential stat line, there's a lot of similarities there to Gene Segura, maybe a higher average of Gene. But, you know, the power speed upside are very, very similar if you would have went like a Segura instead of Mondesi, would you still have gone to Victor Robles? Yeah, I mean, I think you need you need two speed plays to secure. Okay. Um, so Robles would have been more. You know, I think part of the reason Robles was in there, and I kind of had him around there, was thinking a Segura wouldn't be enough. Or uh, so um, so with Mondesi and Robles, I basically kind of Love turned that. speed into a real strength. So I, I mean, I think I. Um, in projections, I'm well ahead of just about everyone in speed because of those two picks. Um, and I think that's fair to say like Segura and Robles are a bit similar there. I'd say the biggest difference is Segura is pretty much a lock for the first two spots in that lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like Segura is going to have, has much more run upside um, and, mm-hmm. he, and a stronger on average. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, offhand, I, I so I, I imagine Segura is more valuable, um, but um, yeah, the but the price was is is still pretty good. No, I him. like it. I was just curious on that. Um, so you took the ground first, then you went to five hitters, then you got your first reliever off the board of Felipe Vasquez, uh, a very solid closer, uh, one guy that's kind of getting overlooked after uh, with the big guys up top, but very much capable of becoming like the next Edwin Diaz or whatnot. 
Um, are you usually one to take a closer this soon or what dictated that one coming off the board? Yeah. I mean, um, seventh round tends to be the spot for your second tier closers. I don't like the, what using a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick, if I can avoid it. Um, yeah, I feel pretty good on finding closers later if I have to. Um, but yeah, seventh, eighth round of this draft, my thinking was I could find that if, you know, I didn't think Vasquez would fall, but like I, I knew like a Yates and Leclerc would be available unless there was a massive closer run and then yeah, I'd have to improvise. So, um, but so yeah, so I was, ha- I, I like Vasquez a lot. He, he's been real, he's been very solid for the last year and a half or so. It's going to be really interesting because I think the last like four or five podcasts I've done and then everything else I listen to, Vaz, LeClerc, and Yates are uber popular now. Like they were kind of quiet names, and now it seems like every expert's out there talking about them, and rightfully so. But I'm just curious to see how this uh, increases ADP as we get going. Um, Robbie Ray, you took right after Felipe Vasquez. Robbie Ray is a guy we know has lights out strikeout stuff and also has control issues. Um, are you buying that Robbie Ray is going to get back to the guy we saw two years ago? Is that why you took him there, or was there something else? Yeah, I mean, somewhere in between. Um, but, yeah, the, the the case stuff is there, you know, but the hope is just the control gets a little bit better. Um, not one of my favorite picks in the draft, but he is coming at value. I mean, there, there's only, like, a couple guys that I – even if they're at value, I really want to avoid. Um, I feel a little better about Ray than maybe, like, Chris Archer. But um, – yeah, I mean that that's what I mentioned in my post. If I could have a do over, I'd rather have uh Rosario in that in the seventh pick and then a closer in the eighth pick. And then just take you know, so yeah, anyone who wants to trade me uh Robbie Ray for a seventh round outfielder, I'll listen. There but, we go. But it um, has to be in this league because otherwise it's really not otherwise it'd be, it'd be tough to make that trade work, but it'd be yeah, it'd be fun it'd be fun get to see try. He'll get vetoed. Yeah, they might frown upon that. Like Ray Flowers might not let that happen. Just throwing it out there. Um, you mentioned a couple other upside guys here. You took them bang, bang, bang with Lucchese, Austin Meadows, and Nick Sinzel. All young players with big-time upside but also still very young. Um, what is it that you, A, see in these guys, or B, makes you comfortable taking them on your team at this point in the draft? Well, Lucchese, I thought, came at a, a – that that's a good value for him. Um you know, I he he had he got stretched out last year. Not that he was a reliever, but he he, you know, I don't see him as having much of an innings constraint. Um, good home park, so I, I like I like Lucchesi, especially. Uh, I was able to get him as like an SP five. I would have said I'd be fine with him as my fourth pitcher. Um, Meadows and Senzel are a little bit different. So Senzel, I wanted um, the the center field news has already been out. He's got a really good skill base, um, no real weakness. He's kind of a contributor across the board. Um, and I'm not worried. I kind of almost see him as like a super utility type where, you know, when I was looking at my pre- my projections for my team, I had him on the bench. I'm like, that, that could be my stash guy because I like him a lot more than any young guy you'd take a, a, fl- a rookie you'd take a flyer on in the 20th or so. So I, Senzel, I liked knowing a third base outfield in there. Meadows was a bit more of a lark. Um, 
at that point, I, had, I still only had Stanton and Robles, and this is the 14th round. Um, there wasn't a lot of outfielders I liked after Mazar and McCutcheon went off the board. I liked Dickerson. He got sniped. I think there was maybe one other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so then as I was looking at outfielders, there's just a lot of okay outfielders around that time. Um, and he had the best dollar per game, which, you know, basically saying that, okay, I, I'll be, if things go right, he's going to play really well. Uh, he might be a guy I have to rotate if, you know, Tampa Bay doesn't give him playing time or he has a slow start. But um, there's just so many outfielders on my board later that I'm like, I can get the the value guys later. Let me take, I'll, I'll, I'll add one more upside guy. Um, and that was pretty good value based on ADP for Meadows. So, um, you know, going back, I'm still pretty happy with it. I mean, Bowers was definitely one I was looking at and hoping he'd kind of fall later um, to give me first base in outfield. But I'm not, you know, like, and I, just because I, I think Bowers has um, good playing time security. He might hit pretty high in that lineup in Cleveland only because they really, they have such trash after yeah, uh, after the first three or four guys. Uh, I like it. I like how you're talking about the outfield there because doing some mock drafts of my own and coming out with more of my rankings recently is there's a lot of names in these rounds, but there's not a lot of names you want to pick probably in these rounds. So that's why I can see where you're going there. And you mentioned taking, you know, these upside guys. How much does it mean – like how much do you factor in ADP or just, hey, I might jump it and get these guys now because I don't like what's around them? Um. I factor ADP in a lot. I mean, I'm trying to in 15 round snake. You know, you can't get too cute if you really like a guy. I mean, I think Meadows, he's gone around a pick 187, so he might have been a little bit cheap there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I have it that in general he should have only been about like a 30 percent chance of falling there. So. In the consideration said he was on my board as someone to think about, but um, I would have thought by the 14th round I would have had at least three and maybe four start four outfielders. So that wouldn't be a position I'd be looking at there. Um, okay. So let's just say planned improvisation. Okay, I like that. Uh, let's talk about some bounce back guys. You took Kiermaier, Pineda, and others, but I wanted to ask you about some other players that were taken in this draft that you mentioned in your article here. Uh, first being Gary Sanchez, you're in a two catcher league, so this kind of changes things a bit. But you know he, he probably can't have a worse batting average than he had last year. Like he, like Joey Gallo had a better batting average than Gary Sanchez. But the uh, the power is legit, and you were pretty pretty pumped on Jeff Erickson getting him in the seventh round. Um, I know you didn't take catchers early, and that's a philosophy of many. But how do you look at Gary Sanchez? Like if you had the chance in the seventh round, would you have taken Gary Sanchez? Uh, I probably wouldn't have, if we're going to do it again today, I would, but, um, it's, you know, it's just the case that it's, it was so improbable based on NFBC ADP that he'd fall that far. Um, so basically like statistically impossible to fall that far. Um, and Jeff, um, who plays a lot of NFBC seemed to be the most flexible, drafter in terms of like if there's a guy there at real cheap value versus ADP he grabbed I think there was a couple others so he was he was the best value player um, in the 
I'm still, you know, you know how like in NFL they have like the offensive coordinator supposedly. I don't know if it's true, but it's like, oh, they they script the first ten to fifteen plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of like that on drafting. So maybe I I don't I, I think it would have been tough for me to take Sanchez there. Here, the other thing we're thinking is like right now for fifteen team, I have Sanchez at fifty eight. Um. That seems, and that pick in the seventh round is like ninety. So you're like, that's an incredible bargain. Well, I had like Rosario thirty four. There were still other great bargains that were better bargains on my board than Sanchez. So, yeah, I, I, I think at that point, I maybe yeah, if I do it again, I'd be, I'd think about it. I maybe pull the trigger, but um. It's hard to plan around those kind of things, and I don't like. I think if you uh, are so flexible toward taking that type of thing, that it's you. You might get, find yourself in a, a part of the draft where you're like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm deathly in need of this," and that's that's what I want to avoid. Because when you need something that bad, then you're then you're having to reach more, um, and generally yeah, that those things are bad you're, you're kind of uh you're just sacrificing value so yeah but no, not I'm completely not. In, in in another i mean based on the universe i have no problem taking a catcher early um and yeah it, this year it didn't make a lot of sense Gotcha. And that kind of goes back to category balance and your best player available and stuff like that your adp versus catcher guys sections you have going on is um when you when you kind of scheduled it to, you know, you, you you planned out your draft going to get him versus other guys at that time kind of probably dictated things differently for you. Um, you mentioned a guy like Cedric Mullins and some other late round guys. Um, you you we've already talked about you wanting to take chances when you're back there and we, you like to have a balanced club. Are you looking to go more balanced? Or are you going more upside later in your draft? Well, matter. I mean, balance can mean different things. Um, you know, I don't want to have. I mean, I've, I'm locking into things like you know, what do I think the projected playing time is? So I don't want to. Ha- I want to have some a, a pretty high number of projected plate appearances. Um, so I'm not taking a lot of larks on. Like, just I had mentioned on like you know Lozardo and how I view like pitching. It's like yeah, I don't really want a lot of guys that I don't know if they're going to pitch in the first month or two. And the same would be for hitters. Um, you know, a guy like Cedric Mullins, I do have projected at like 600 plate appearances with some time up at the top of the lineup. So he's actually one I have, I'm well ahead of ADP on. So that was, I had, I think, um, I think was it Tim McLeod drafted Mullins? Yeah. Um, it was one where it was, it was both really early. So I think that's a bit of a faux pas, but the value is there in my eyes too, because I think, um, pretty much just counting stats and speed and speed so hard to find. So it's the type of move that he probably felt he had to make because he was, I'm assuming short on speed. And I'm looking at his draft right now. Eh, it's where he, he took, he took two real um, gambles with um, Mullins and Ham- Garrett Hampson in the 11th round. Hmm. Um, both guys. I like a lot. Uh, both. He went way ahead of ADP. Um, like the speed on both, I think Hampson's got like crazy upside if he plays, um, and they give him the green light. But um, 
it kind of shows how each drafter is a bit different. Um, Tim, I think, is really strong on prospecting, and he's going to sometimes over-invest in prospects uh, because of that knowledge. Over, uh, Let's just say over-invest versus what I would do. And um, – yeah, and yeah, he might say the opposite, like, oh, Rudy invests too much in guys at near ADP. But my philosophy is that I, I don't need to go too much higher than ADP. <laughs> as, as long as I think if the guy's going to come back, to, if I feel very good that the guy's going to come back to me on my next pick, why am I taking him with this pick? True, and you you mentioned a guy like McLeod who is a prospect guy, and you mentioned Jeff Erickson plays a lot of NFBC, and you know these guys when you're going into these drafts, when you're doing this prep, how much do you pay attention? Like how much a part of your prep is how these guys draft and how you kind of schedule out, like you said, your first 15 rounds or something. I'm just going, I have just the faith that people aren't going to go too that NFBC is pretty reflective of what people will do. Um, If I, I, I'm just trying, I don't want to spend all the time on the, the anomaly cases. So like if, if you had forced me to really think about it, yes, I could see Adalberto Mondesi being so polarizing that he would fall. And maybe even a Gary Sanchez, if people really wanted to punt catchers. Um, but I'm just going based on probabilities. And uh, so I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the drafters. I think if I'm picking at either end of the draft, I am thinking a little bit about that, I guess, but probably even more so on what they've drafted so far and who's likely to come back. I'll admit in this draft, I barely even looked at what the 13 to 15 picks were doing. Okay. Um, I, I, I got snaked. It's pretty hard to get just snaked once in a draft. <laughs> um, and when I say snake, you, you can't count it. If like you pick 12 and someone, and someone gets taken from 11 to 1, 1 to 11. Yeah. That's just shit happens. But it's when, like, you know, if I'm picking seventh and a guy I like for eight gets picked in those next, in the turn, that's getting to me snaked or there's other terms for it. Um, and yeah, just the Eddie Rosario case was really it. Otherwise, I kind of had planned, uh, things went to plan or, you know, what you'll end up happening is that, like, you think it's going to be one thing, and then you see the picture, and like, oh my god, everyone just thinks differently. So true. Uh, one guy you took that I'm just curious about here because I, I love the upside with him. He just hasn't really stayed healthy. Uh, when you're looking at your evaluations and your projections, what are you uh, seeing in Steven Matz this year, a guy you took off the board? Yeah, I mean that there are. I said there aren't a lot of starting pitchers that I felt were going at great values. Um, and it just felt like guys like Andrew Heaney, Lucchesi, Matz, and Hamels for that matter. Um, so my third through sixth pitchers, um, I just like them all. And probably shouldn't be stating it so much like that. So <laughs> future drafts, people will be getting them. Um, but um, Matz just had a, a solid year last year. Um, he, you know, I felt like he lost so much time to injuries that – you know, there was some learning to be had, kind of like what Wheeler's had to deal with. He's got the great home park. So, you know, like the opposite issue of like a John Gray, where you never feel safe. Someone like Matt's, I could, I feel safe starting him every game at City Field. And then, you know, I'll have a few good road starts. So I like, 
I, I think there's there's upside and there's a pretty good floor there. And there's just there's just not a lot of pitchers past the fifteenth round that you could really say that for. I mean, the the guys going around there, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it right. I'm, this was Ska, I, I, Tyler Skaggs when I like him. Sonny Gray, I do not. Kyle Freeland, Rocky, Alex Reyes, who knows? Ross Stripling, again, another hundred twenty inning guy. Um, Tuki Toussaint, just a, a wild card. So yeah. I look at the guys in 16 to 17. Mats, I feel, you know, has got a good bet for uh, 160, 70 innings. And again, worst case, he's going to get injured. I'm not, so he'll be on my DL. A couple other guys I want to ask you about here. Uh, you took Tyler White as a corner infield option, first base option later in the draft. Um, you know, he's, right now it looks like he'll have an everyday job with the Astros. The guy's got pop for days, but. You know, the Astros are so deep as well, like a hiccup, you never know. What are you uh, seeing with Tyler White? Wasn't a – I mean, that that was one. I mean, like – so it's interesting. I, I figured out pretty much after the Rosario thing and taking Robbie Ray and then taking Hamels at 10 that I was going to be too pitcher heavy. Um, and one of the things as I was looking in the – 14, 15 round. There, there's a ton of first base bats that were going around then. Um, and the, I mean, the 16th round alone was Peter Alonso, Smoke, Carlos Santana, Luke Voigt, Crone in the 17th, Bell in the 18th. More, and I, I think Santana, Carlos Santana. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of guys there. And as looking at it, I was just like, you know what? They're all like kind of the same. This is the type of bat that you'll find on waivers in May. Yeah, maybe a guy who. So one of the ways I could save or come back on first base is don't invest then at first base. Take, you know, like to me, like Tyler white is pretty much in the same category and cost me a few dollars less. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of the, I made up some of that just because just basically going on um, guys with similar skill things. So I don't particularly love Tyler white, but he's got 20 plus Homer power very good lineup. So even if he hits seventh or eighth, mm-hmm. I'm not super worried about the run RBI impact. It's, I mean, he's no more than I would be on like Luke Voigt. Yeah, true. He's going so, earlier. Uh, yeah. Right. And, and I feel, you know, like they both have similar concerns on, you know, how, I mean, how long of a lease does Luke Voigt have? That's what I've been saying with everybody. I, I get, I, there's a lot of love for the guy. And I get, you know, he hits the crap out of a baseball. But uh, there's it's the Yankees after all. Like there, there's there's other options. So yeah, and and I I mean I do think I, I will see if I could follow it. But one thing I, I think I've uh, learned is that you're let's just call him my corner infielder because mm-hmm. you know, I have Murphy I could put at first base. Um, you know, for the corner infield type, you, you've got to be ready to like throw them overboard. Yep. By the end, at least by the end of April. Yeah, that if first they, base position is bad. I mean, it's one thing. I mean, obviously, if Tyler White has, you know, doesn't get playing time, but um, yeah, there's always going to be a couple guys coming um, yep. that bus, so to speak. Um, so it is the benefit of like, well, I used the 21st round pick on him versus, let's say, you know, Guriel went 13th. Okay. Um, yeah, for sense. a guy like what? Yeah, different skill set, less power, better average, um, more racist. But <laughs> the. Um, <laughs> But I'll tell you, whoever, you know, um, and that was Alan Harrison of Fantasy Fix. 
he's not dropping Gurriel till you know, I bet no way he drops him in the first three months unless something catastrophic happens. Uh, yeah, I feel like I, I, I've, I've got um, a little bit more baked in flexibility just because I invested less in him. Yeah, I get that. That makes a lot of sense there. Um, we were talking about saves earlier and closers, and you took Vasquez around round seven. You got Cody Allen, and then he wrapped it up your last, you know, two of your last three picks with Trevor Hildenberger and then Ty Buttry, um, Cody Allen's backup or heir apparent, one would say. Um, when you when you're doing these big fifteen team drafts, do you look to have possibly three closers when you leave, or how, how do you look at all that? I mean, I, I I'm I, I've done multiple combinations, so I said the only must I, I like to have a one guy who's I feel solid on. If you got if you got no solid save guys, that that's a tenuous position to be in. Um, so getting Vasquez, I felt good. After that, you know, let's just say I, I didn't really want to, I don't really want to take a second closer in the next, at least let's say rounds eight to 11. I'd rather not. If someone inevitably falls, I might, you know, like it's, it's possible. I mean, the Yates and Leclerc fell to the ninth round here. I thought that was surprising. Maybe I think about them in the ninth or 10th. If I've, you know, that, that might've been something I'd consider even with Vasquez off the board. Um, Allen was a guy I'd, you know, I just seem to have been higher on than most. Um, I I get all the issues he had last year. Um, willing to just, I do think he has more security than a few other guys that are in that range. I mean, I think Vizcainu went next, and I I don't I feel less comfortable with Vizcainu with Minter on that team. Um, and you know, and I remember at the time Kimbrel's still out there. You know, I know the Angels aren't getting him. <laughs> Yeah, that's but the truth. It's certainly possible. Get, I mean, like Atlanta would be a bit of a dark horse, but um, but I like him better than Vizcaino. Like a Colome, I'm fine with, but Calvin Herrera is there. You start going through it, there's not a lot of relievers with the same leash that Cody Allen will have. Um, Butchery was a cheat. I got the last round as a handcuff, so now I feel I'm good on Angels. Um, I, I like I mean, especially in a February draft, it's great to take a few shots after in, after round twenty on relievers. Last year, I nailed Boxberger. Um, that was, you know, that ended up paying off nicely. I mean, Greg Holland would have was in that bucket. Uh, similar, same same uh, team, Arizona. Uh, he went round twenty three. Uh, there were good values to be had. Uh, I mean, AJ Minter was a guy I had at the top of you know was really considering throughout rounds that was one where because i'd gone so pitcher heavy i really had to hammer away at bats um after uh mats so from round 17 to 24 i took only one pitcher um and reliever is just one thing i was going to give on you're also still looking at even you know i get to pick 24 i've only got seven or seven starting pitchers Mm -hmm. i like to have kind of nine yeah, you know, so I had to throw, and there's only so many I liked left. So uh, Hildenberger is pretty much like one of the later relievers I liked. Not as much as like a Minter, uh, not as much as a Greg Holland. Those guys didn't fall that far. Um, there was a, I mean, Strickland went in the 21st round, which was crazy. There were some 
um, really good bargain hunting. That, I think uh, Scott Pianowski was my kind of favor on the bargain hunting. Um, but yeah, I'd say like ideally you're coming out of a, dra- a February draft with like four relievers. Um, I think I've done as much as five. Um, and I've had pretty, you know, like pretty good success. Uh, yeah. Two years. Um, I want to say it's like two years ago, I had this crazy. I think I took like Corey Kniebel with like the last pick. Oh, and wow. that works so that well. there's, <laughs> and, and then you look, I mean, like, and you could look through the last two, three rounds of a draft like this. And you're just looking like so much of this is like garbage picks that are going to add nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, most picks after round 20 add no value. Um, so like guys that, you know, um, Tim McLeod took Ryan Presley. I thought that was a really good pick, even though saves aren't immediately visible. Pretty much taking relievers toward the end is uh, I like a lot better than generally the dart throw hitter. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I think it was two years ago, someone took Conforto then. So there's, there's always exceptions there. Um, but let's just say that if I look at, if I'm looking right now and I see like uh, Aaron Sanchez, CC Sabathia, Eric Thames, Hernan Perez, Adam Duval. Mm-hmm. No offense to the people that I, those are garbage picks. <laughs> uh, like, like, I mean, Ty Buttry, at least, you know, like he's insurance at the very least. I mean, even just back, you know, handcuffing your reliever, uh, your would be something or taking like a third catcher might yeah. be of interest. Someone took Melanson. I can't fault I that one. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's seemingly got that atrophied right arm or whatnot, but yeah, that mountain. Sure. I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to taking Melanson then. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, the thinking um, really can't have enough relievers and yeah, they're easy to cut bait on if they're not, they don't have a role in by into spring training. Okay, just a couple more questions for you here. Um, the draft's done. You've obviously done other research and ADPs and mock drafts and all that good stuff. Um, when you're looking at your drafts coming up in the future, if for the listeners out there, what's the one kind of roto stat that you think is at the just um, the, the lowest that you really need to make a point to attack early in your drafts or to make sure you have come into your drafts? Like speed, saves. What, what what stat are you looking at that's really not as lucrative as, as usual? Oh, I mean, I mean, just about, I mean, speed, I think speed's always in that case. And like, so that, so I'll see people go, you know, deep into things like this was the average amount of homers and this was the average amount of stolen bases and looking year to year and looking for trends. I, I don't care as much on that. Um, I don't think there's a ton of value in there. The reality is that in at times when there's tons of power or tons of speed, it means you need that much more in order to compete. Mm-hmm. And and the inverse is true. Um, I'm looking at things. I just want to have value, and I'm and the way and I'm looking through everything from the prism of how many guys do I need in order to get to close to average. And I'm looking at it through like my wonky category dollars. So I know I need $32 worth of stolen bases and $32 worth of homers. And um, the mock drafts have given me a feel for what I need in order to accomplish that. So um, to me, like homer speed average, it's all, they're just three, the, the three main variables you got to worry about. And if you're playing OBP or something else, it tends to, you know, 
swap in other ratio. Um, but um, I'd say this, if, if you're kind of 10 to 10 plus rounds in and you're really low in a category, to, from my vantage point, you kind of failed. <laughs> like, yeah, cause no, it, that's true. You know, you maybe saves. Saves you could, yeah. I mean, I, I'd have been fine if there was a massive closer run, just taking an extra bat or two, and then bargain shopping for relievers. That's mm-hmm. that's about it. But it's to me like the the best position to be in is that you know, so, so something will probably go wrong between now and March. A guy I thought was going to play isn't those kind of things. The best position to be in every week on Sunday. Um, besides reclined with a beer in your hand <laughs> is saying, I don't need anything. Yeah. Who that's do a, I want? Nice feeling. Who, who's, what can I basically, where is there value out there that I can marginally get better? Sure. Um, because those are the times where you just, yeah, I, I might find four guys that are good values and throw a dollar or two out there and get one. And, yeah, two years ago, I did that with kind of a rotating middle infield. Two years ago, I got Merrifield for a dollar in a bunch of leagues. And uh, and the thing is like, okay, well, if you're just opportunistic and you're just kind of churning through, to me, that's great. When you look at a $100 fab and you said, well, I was, you know, like, so Jeff, uh, Erickson, I, I thought he had a really good draft. I liked some of the value, but he has no closers. That first closer is going to be throwing a bunch of money. He's going to have to probably throw fifty plus dollars at relievers when all said and done. Um, and there's only a hundred dollars, Fab. So he's kind of already, you know. So think of him as okay. He's got fifty dollars to play with for the rest. I've got a hundred. I'd rather that, that. And for my style of play, which let's just say is very kind of churning of like the bat the bottom roster and constantly looking for like um this rotating group of starting pitchers and guys are going to get hurt um mine plays better to just not needing anything that makes a lot of sense um when again this draft's all said and done and you know we were sitting there looking at the the draft the completed draft board other people are doing it there's articles out there like yours just as like a listener um, you know, a novel, just kind of basic fantasy player, what should they do with the information gleaned from this draft? I mean, that, that's the, when I write the post, that's what I try to think through. Um, I'm trying to do it for, I mean, obviously the Rasball readers, but also knowing that this is a time of year where people are looking at different sites. So it's kind of an exposure to Rasball and kind of the way I think. So I think you just, it's, good to hear how people think on their draft and how they've strategized decide if that plays with your strengths and weaknesses um ideally get learn some things about how to uh how to plan a draft and what your goals should be you don't have to follow it to a t i said there could be someone could look at my draft and say i drafted they they wish that the draft was more conservative or i spent less on pitching and how could use a first round thing on starting pitching I'm writing it basically. I'm writing my article saying, like, okay, well, you could do all those things. Here's just the things you better think about. Here are the rocks you put in your proverbial jar, and then you could worry about the pebbles later. Um, you know, so 
when I read others, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously always curious. I want to see if they mention me in the post first and foremost. <laughs> um, next is like, you know, just interested in see how other people think. I'm, you know, everything I've done, it probably has many other um, precedents of people that I've kind of stolen ideas from or been inspired by. Um, so I'm always kind of reading and, and kind of hoping some, I get some other little piece of knowledge that helps refine what I'm doing. Um, and then, yeah, then occasionally you just read a post that basically says, Oh, these are the guys I picked. I like them all for these various reasons. And I go, "Eh, okay, I'll never get that 10 minutes back, but it's fine. (laughs) Uh, what is 10 minutes as we say, right? Um, Last question I have for you. Now that you're done with the draft, and obviously you have other drafts coming up like Tout and TGFBI and probably a few others, um, you have your roster now. Again, for for listeners trying to figure out how to how to run a team and how to do it the way you're doing it, what's your next steps to get ready with your roster? What are you doing? Are you setting a watch list? Are you what are you doing to prepare things? Oh, it, it's just. I mean, we can't do anything till the start of the season, so. Literally nothing. I'm not a, uh, a big trader. I don't think a lot of trades happen. I mean, there's certain leagues where it happens more, but for the most part, you know, I'm doing my prep for other leagues, um, consistently improving the projections or refine the projections, you know, like, oh, Josh, you know, doing things like making sure Josh Harrison and Moustakis are properly estimated. And then, yeah, once first week a fab comes up, I'm I'm am I'm, I'm trying to get my uh, weekly projections run, and once those weekly projections are run, then every team's going through that prism. Yeah. Of and obviously, like I maybe the first yeah running the weekly projections, putting all the DL guys on the DL, putting all the guys that didn't get the playing time or starting in the minors on the bench, and then uh, each team just going strategizing on what I'm going to do in that first week. And I think that first week's really critical. There's a lot of value guys. Um, so like just off the top of my head last year in other, as the draft season went on, I got really high on Hunter Strickland because Melanson was a mess and Dyson stunk. And so I, so I was primed for Strickland in, in my fab on my early drafts. Um, trying to think of Ryu was another one that as the draft season went on was on my radar. I was just getting cheap everywhere. So it was another guy I was looking to bid like a dollar or two that first week. There's, um, there's so much, so many players drafted and people looking to fill holes that there's a, you know, it's a good time to get a few, uh, under the radar guys. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how I do it. But once I wrote, after, now that this post is done, it's best for me not to look at this labor team <laughs> for a little bit. And I, I mean, guys, you own, you know, and there's like kind of that yeah. clock of like, uh, you know, I don't want, I want, I like to have shares in a, a couple different players, so I don't want to mirror this draft every time. So, but um, yeah, otherwise it's kind of uh, fingers crossed that. Uh, you know, things like, you know, Robles is is assured playing time and Mondesi hits in the top two of that lineup. Um, okay. So every piece of player news is a potential, uh, you know, good confirmation or heartbreak. I like it. 
Well, Rudy, it's been fun uh, picking your brain on this process and uh, seeing how you go about it, how you look back on it and all that kind of fun stuff because there's a million different ways to uh, to draft a team, but there's uh, certain ways to do it uh, from the experts. And I like to hear how it's done. Labor is fun to watch as it takes place. So to, to kind of get your process through it all has been a blast. Um, why don't you let everybody know again once where they can find you on Twitter and all the good stuff you have going on at Razzball. Yeah, so uh, at Razzball, or I'm sorry, at Razzball's Gray. Uh, it's a general thing at Razzball. I'm at, at Rudy Gamble. And then if you go to uh, Razzball.com slash subscriptions, you could learn more about uh, our various offers. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't recommend enough if you're playing season long for our uh, Roto Deluxe package, which is like 25 bucks. And um, trust me, a- anyone that's ever done it and is serious about, you know, you know the, you know, playing in NFBC, playing in a couple of uh, if you're playing in a couple leagues, it's it's such a lifesaver. Makes your uh, makes daily and weekly transactions a lot easier. Um, and uh, so, yeah, can't, I can't recommend it enough. I'm obviously the the uh, the father of it, but uh, anyone that's uh, anyone that's used it would speak uh, highly of it. All right, everybody, go check it out over there at Razzball.com. Uh, Rudy's a, a great follow, and uh, so is Gray over there at Razzball, both on Twitter. Um, lots of good stuff there. But, uh, Rudy, thanks for joining me. It's been uh, it's been a blast. Hey, thanks for having me. Everybody, this is Ben Fabella, episode 147. Catch you guys later.